This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. So many, many, many years ago, when I was a little kid, I wanted to purchase something at the store. And so I went to my coin bank and found some coins, because that's what's in a coin bank. (laughs) And I took out four coins. And if you're good with math and good with currency, you know that four quarters equal a dollar. But as I was looking through my coins, the first one was a quarter, the second one was a quarter, the third one was a quarter, the fourth one looked like a quarter, it felt like a quarter, I believe it even smelt like a quarter, but in fact it was not a quarter. It was a coin from a different country, and so its value was not 25 cents. And so being the good kid that I was, I planned to deceive the cash cashier. So I went to the store, I put the four coins down with the fake quarter at the bottom, thinking, he's not going to know. It's all the same shape, same color, same feel. And yes, back then, things actually did cost a dollar. And so he looks at the first one good to go, looks through the second one, okay, looks through the third one, we're good, he stops at the fourth one, so my heart is pounding faster, and he says, this is not a quarter, and in my mind, what else can I do but cover up my deceit with a lie, and I told him, oh, I wasn't aware that it wasn't a quarter, thinking that he would let me slide, And so I could still buy what I wanted, but that didn't work. But in the same way as I tried to deceive this man, is the same way that false gospels can make their way into the church and appear as if they are the true gospel, but they are leading many astray. The same way that the serpent made his way into the garden is the same way that these false gospels can make their way into churches and deceive many. And so it's important to know what the true gospel is. If you're wondering why I have a sermon on what is the gospel, it's because we need it. And where else shall we go but to the word of God to see what the gospel is? It's not going to come from the world and its practices and beliefs. It's going to come from God himself. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament. And we're going to look at this passage in three angles. The first one is the heart of the gospel. Second, the proclamation of the gospel. 
And third, the fruit of the gospel. The heart of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, and the fruit of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, why would the Apostle Paul remind Christians of the gospel? And especially 15 chapters into his letter to the church at Corinth. Well, he actually tells us in verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were some in the church who believed that there is no future resurrection. That those who have died, that there's nothing after. There's no future resurrection for them. And so how does Paul correct their theology? He preaches the gospel. He reminds them of the gospel. And so what is this gospel? Well, literally, gospel means good news. It is such good news for the soul. But notice that Paul's focus is on a person. Christ. Christ is the central figure of Christianity, the central figure of the scriptures. He's central in the gospel. Paul says that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised. It is all about Jesus. Life, death, and resurrection. The resurrection is sometimes forgotten. We sometimes don't talk about the resurrection when we tell people about Jesus, but we need to preach the gospel, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because, as Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 15, it's because Christ has been raised from the dead that we are no longer in our sins. But there's bad news. There's bad news first. There's what Paul speaks about. He says, Jesus died for our sins. 
That is that we have sinned against God. We have offended God. We have rebelled against God. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, all of humanity stands guilty and condemned before a good and holy and just and loving God. Think about this past week and think about the thoughts that you had in your mind. All the prideful, lustful, greedy thoughts, God sees those even though no one else does. And as a result, our sin earns death. So Paul talks about in Romans, the wages of our sin is death. So we stand before God as guilty. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. And all of our good works are filthy before God. We deserve hell. It's the bad news. But the good news is that there was one who was perfect. (laughs) There was one who perfectly obeyed the law of God on your behalf. There was one who was never arrogant. Not once did he lust. Not once was he greedy. Not once was he impatient. But he fully obeyed the law of God and then he died in the place of sinners. It's on the cross that he bears the wrath of his father, dies in our place as a substitute, rises victoriously over death, and conquers over sin, conquers over the grave, so that all who put their trust and hope in him are saved. That is good news because Jesus has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's why it is good news. Notice that Paul mentions that a few times that it's in accordance with the scriptures. And I find that interesting. Because what is Paul speaking about when he speaks about the scriptures? He's speaking about the Old Testament. Paul is preaching the gospel. The New Testament authors, the disciples, they would preach the gospel from the Old Testament. So we must never unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So what's the first gospel proclamation in the Old Testament? Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve sinned and God pronounces judgment and curses, there's a promise. He tells the serpent that the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head. Jesus is the head crusher who defeats Satan at the cross. I'll give you another one. Genesis 49. Jacob is about to die, and so he blesses his 12 sons. 
to one of his sons by the name of Judah. He says the scepter, this is what kings had, the scepter will not depart from Judah. That all your brothers are going to bow down to you. Jesus is from the line of Judah. He is the king who rules and reigns. He is the true Davidic king who has, who will defeat his enemies and has brought into his kingdom his people. Isaiah 53 speaks about a suffering servant who would bear the sin and transgressions of many. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the true suffering servant. Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured much hostility from sinful men. If you look at the life of Christ, he endured that on a regular basis. People would try to kill him. They would try to stone him. He suffered much. And then on the cross, he suffers by taking sin upon himself, bearing the wrath of his father so that all who put their trust and hope in him will never experience the wrath of God. Oh, and there's so much more in the Old Testament. I'll give you at least one more, maybe two. Depends how excited I get. But Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, Psalm 23 and John 10. He is the greater prophet than Moses in Deuteronomy. He is the greater Joshua who brings his people into the true promised land, the new heaven and the new earth. This is what Paul speaks about when he speaks of the Old Testament. That is all about Jesus. We have to remember that God saving his people through Christ was not plan B. It wasn't as if God saw Adam and Eve sin and he said, what am I going to do now? He was not surprised or taken aback. It was God's plan before the world was even created that he would save his people. That's amazing. Think about that for a second. Before the world even existed, it was just God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not needing anything or anyone, not obligated to do anything. And yet he created the world, he created us, and he would save and redeem us. But there is a false gospel that is very prevalent known as legalism. Legalism adds to the gospel. It says, believe in Jesus plus do these things in order to be saved. Paul dealt with this during his time. There were Jews who believed you had to believe in Jesus and be circumcised, which was a part of the old covenant in order to be saved. And this gospel preaches that you need to earn God's favor. It's based on your performance. It's based on your obedience. So what are you trusting in today? What are you standing on today? 
Are you trusting in a prayer that you made when you were younger? As if the prayer itself saves you. Or perhaps you were sprinkled as a baby, or you sprinkled your own child. Are you trusting that that saves? Or perhaps confirmation. Or perhaps even your baptism. Or your morality that you're a good person. Or your church attendance, or your Bible reading, or how much you pray. Are you trusting in your own righteousness? Do you think that you are a good person? Well, there will be good people in hell. Only Jesus saves. If you're familiar with the hymn, Rock of Ages, there's one line in there that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It is only the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, that you will stand before God as not guilty. Nothing you can work up in yourself. One thing that Paul emphasizes here is the proclamation of the gospel. This message that we're hearing, listening to, Paul speaks about, that it needs to be preached. You might be familiar with a phrase that says, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. And while our behavior should be in alignment with what the gospel is, it is insufficient. The gospel needs to be proclaimed. That means that you and I have to open up our mouth. And it's not something that's just for the pastor. It's, it's every Christian. Every Christian is called to this. No matter how old you are, no matter how well you can speak, we're all called to proclaim this message to those around us. Paul emphasizes that it's Preached. Verse 1, he said, the gospel I preached to you. Verse 2, the word I preached to you. Verse 3, for I delivered to you. Verse 11, so we preach. But with the preaching of the gospel comes persecution. Perhaps you face this when you've told people or your friends at school that you love Jesus or that you're Christian. You go to youth group, you go to church. People laugh at you. People make fun of you. There's persecution, there's mocking and ridicule. And there's another false gospel. This one is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel teaches that if you have enough faith in Jesus, you'll be wealthy, you'll be healthy, you get all the cars and houses that you want if you just have enough faith. And the, the central point of it is you. It's all about you and the strength of your faith. One famous preacher who preaches this gospel is Joel Osteen. 
speaks about your best life now. His preaching is devoid of suffering. It's devoid of sin. It's not mentioned. But think about this gospel for a second. Its its focus is on safety and security. I mean, none of us really want to get sick. None of us want to die. But safety and security can become your God. And once it has become your God, it is an idol. Do you worship safety and security? You know, I want my wife and children to be safe and secure, but that cannot be my ultimate goal. What is your heart's desire? Do you desire the riches of the world? Are you materialistic? Or perhaps you want status or popularity. More people to watch your TikTok videos. Is that where you find your satisfaction in? The prosperity gospel neglects that our Savior suffered. That our Savior suffered for us. Paul mentions in verse 9 that he persecuted the church. When Stephen was being stoned to death, Paul stood there and approved of it before he became a Christian. And then when Paul was converted and became a Christian, he suffered. He was beaten and tortured and put into prison. If the author and perfecter of our faith suffered, we too will suffer. It's sometimes hard for us to hear or believe. But there will be suffering. Paul speaks about that. The New Testament authors speak about suffering for the name of Christ. But will you proclaim Christ even in the midst of suffering? Will I proclaim Christ in the midst of suffering? You know, at some point in your life, if you're a Christian, somebody preached the gospel to you. Whether it was at church at home, stranger, someone at college, someone preached the gospel to you and you believed. My mom took my sister and I to church every Sunday. And I am so grateful, so grateful for that. You know, sometimes we think, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and became a Christian at a young age. It's not really that radical, but that's amazing because your heart was dead in sin and God made you alive in Christ. That is a miracle. 
So are you grateful for your salvation? Do you rejoice in your salvation? You know, next week as we come before the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that all of our sins are forgiven. All of them. That is amazing truth for the Christian that we stand before God as pure and blameless because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted in Christ, maybe it's the first time you are hearing this message as an ambassador of Christ, be reconciled to God. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Trust in him today. You know, sometimes we're nervous to proclaim Christ to our neighbors and friends. But we forget this one truth. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. That is, it's not based on your eloquence, how well you can speak, It's not based on human wisdom. It's not based on your Bible knowledge. It is based on the work of the Spirit. It is supernatural. So when it comes to telling other people about Jesus, it's freeing to know that. That actually all I have to do is pray and proclaim Pray, God, give me courage. God, give me opportunities. And tell people about Jesus. So think about it. Who is it that you can speak to this week? Or if that's frightening, who is it that I can pray for this week? Another thing that's encouraging to know is found in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We just have to preach. People are going to think you're weird. We just need to get over ourselves, right? It's going to be awkward at times. People will persecute you. But God causes the growth. God causes the growth. So let's look at the fruit of the gospel. Because with persecution, we have to remember that there are going to be people who continue to reject this gospel. People do not want to submit to God. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. That's why people reject Jesus. They don't want him. 
So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to another a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? You see this when you pass by a restaurant or someone has cologne or perfume on, you get a whiff. There's a smell. That's what Paul speaks about when he speaks about the aroma. To some, it's death. And they'll continue to reject. But for others, it's life. It's life-giving. Look again at what he says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There are some people that when they hear the gospel, God will open up their eyes and they will repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. This is regeneration. This is being born again. This is the promise of the new covenant that God will put his spirit in his people, that he would give them a new heart and that they would obey him. Not to earn their salvation, but because they are saved. God gives you new desires. He wipes away all of your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so are your sins removed from you. Jesus is the true Passover lamb who cleanses us from all of our sins. So we have to remember that salvation is received by faith and faith alone. It's not by works. Paul emphasizes this twice. Believing, verse 2 and verse 11. 11. But not only are we saved by grace, but we are also sanctified by grace. Sanctified just means becoming more like Jesus. Look how Paul emphasizes this in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It is by grace that Paul was saved. And it's by grace that he works hard. He pursues after Christ. And so the gospel actually Preaches, we should preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another. We can memorize gospel nuggets. These are verses or short passages that proclaim the gospel. Romans 5 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That if you're struggling with sin, that you can remind yourself of these truths. You know, we cannot have the world's ideologies to infiltrate the church and to preach to us a different message. The gospel is actually sufficient for those things. 
In chapter 1, Paul speaks about division in the church. There are people who are elevating certain leaders and pastors within the church. And what does Paul do? He proclaims the gospel to them. He reminds them that the gospel is much different than any other message. That all of us actually are on equal ground before the cross. Why elevate your leaders? Because God is the one who causes the growth. So if there's division within our local church, we need the gospel. And notice how even in chapter 15, Paul is correcting their theology with the gospel. And we have to remember, too, how powerful the resurrection is. The resurrection is needed every single day of your life. Why? Because the resurrection reminds you that you're not the same anymore. You're not a slave to sin. You're not in bondage to those desires anymore. You've been set free by Christ. You are united to Jesus by faith. This is the picture of baptism, being buried and rising out of the water. A picture of newness to life. So as Paul says in Romans 6, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So that if you or your brother or sister in Christ is struggling with sin, that you remind one another of your baptism. You point one another to Christ and what he has done on your behalf. That if you feel enslaved to your sin, that you preach the gospel to yourself and you say, I am a new creature in Christ. Not the same anymore. And with that, we remember more so because we still struggle with sin. We remind ourselves that Christ is committed to me. Christ is committed to his bride. He will never leave her. He will never forsake her. He will present us as holy and blameless when he returns. That's his promise for his people. And so that's the truth that we want to encourage one another with then in the local church, there should be no judgment or shame because we all need the gospel and we all need God's grace and one another. Let us pray. Father, you're so good and kind and faithful to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith our Redeemer, our older brother. I pray, Lord, that as a church that we would guard the gospel here, that we would be committed to the truth of it, that we would not waver, but that we would cling tightly to it. 
And I thank you, God, that Christ is the one who is holding on to us. That we can rejoice in our salvation, that we can encourage one another in the gospel. Lord, may it not be a word that we throw around, but that we are in awe of Christ. So incline our hearts to you this day and this week. We pray all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.